Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. And today's show, it's actually a, kind of a special show when you really get down to it. It's about water and health. And if you really think about it, water one way or another affects all of us. So we'll get to all of our illustrious guests that we have quite a few of them for our show today in just a minute. We have a great crew that makes all Health Chatter broadcasts successful, including Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, and DeAndra Howard, who do our background research. All our research will be available, is available on our website. And for this show, you'll see all that as well. Our production manager is, is Matthew Campbell, and our marketing person and researcher is Sheridan Nygaard. So thank you to all of you. Without your assistance, none of these shows would be successful. You're a great crew. And then, of course, there's my co-host for, for all the shows on Health Chatter, and that's Clarence Jones. It's been a pleasure working with you. Whoa, these shows. I think we're closing in on our 80th show here, 80, 81st show, something like that. And it's been really quite interesting. We've learned a lot, a lot. Then we also have Human Partnership, who's our sponsor for our, all of our shows. It's a great community health organization. Recommend that all of you check out their website at Human Partnership. That's H-U-E-M-A-N, partnership.org. Thanks so much. And you can also check out our website at healthchatterpodcast.com. With that, I'm going to turn our great show coming up here over to my co-host, Clarence Jones. Clarence, take it away. Hey, thanks, Dan. And I want to uh, thank everyone for listening to um, to our show today. Uh, great show. And I, I want to start off with uh, Dave Hawkinson, because this is how we got connected to this whole process. I had seen Dave in a couple of uh, uh, community events, and uh, I just happened to see him in a bowling alley one day, and we had a chance to sit down and talk. And uh, it was there that I found out that he was involved with water. And we had this fascinating conversation about water and uh, what's happening here in Minnesota. And so it's been over, I, I, probably close to 10 years that we've been talking about having another conversation about water. And so today we are honored that uh, Dave and, and his, uh, his colleagues are here. And I just want to tell you, Dave is the assistant manager of the drinking water protection section at MDH. We also have Anna Sleep. She is the lead in drinking water coordinator for the drinking water protection program at MDH. We have Sandy Ber Berman. Uh, he is the current drinking water administrator for the state of Minnesota. We have Alicia Overbo. She's a supervisor of the communication strategic initiative uh, unit at MDH. We got some really special people here. And we're going to be talking about something that when I first started talking to Stan about this, I started talking about this issue around liquid gold. Because there's so many articles in the paper that's talking about water. And uh, we're here in the land of 10,000 lakes, right? And it should be that we show, we don't have any water problems. But I think it was a, a time for us to have a, a great conversation about this issue. So with that, Stan, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Because I know that you have a lot of questions to answer or to ask ask who our colleagues here. You know, for those of us who um, have public health backgrounds, you know, inevitably, one way or the other, there's always conversations around water. Everybody 
doesn't matter where you are around the world is linked with water one way or another. And when water is compromised, um, it really is a problem. So let's talk about water being compromised first. And what are the things that that can compromise our drinking water? So either Anna or Sandeep, you want to take that that one? Drinking water is a, you know, it's a fascinating utility because at the end of the day, it is a, it is a utility. Public water supplies are a utility that is provided to us. Uh, it is really an intersection of uh, two dimensions. You know, you have the natural environment, which is the sources of our water. Ultimately, that's our lakes and rivers and streams and our underground waters. And you have all of the infrastructure that takes that raw water and it makes it portable and fit for human consumption. So, you know, how much effort you have to spend in making that raw water portable depends on the quality of that raw water, you know, sometimes very little and sometimes a lot. But in terms of water getting compromised, you can see how these two, uh, you know, dimensions come together. We have the natural environment and we have the built environment, and these two have to function hand in hand. And if either of those is, you know, um, not the way they should be, so if the quality of the natural water isn't uh, fit for human consumption, then there you have a problem there. And then sometimes you can have perfectly good uh, raw water available, but your infrastructure isn't working the way it should be. And then you get, you know, compromised there too. So you can have uh, the quality of the water be the problem. And sometimes it's just the quantity. And the quantity, again, is a, it could be a, your, you have constraints in the quantity of the natural raw water available to you. You know that's droughts, and we we see uh, some very profound effects of uh, of uh, climate change happening that that is causing uh, definite concerns there. And then sometimes the uh, the infrastructure, the mechanical things that get the water to you, those may break down. So you can have both quantity and quality aspects introduced from the infrastructure as well. So it's kind of a you know if you look at it that way, it's like a two by two matrix. You know you have quantity and quality. And then you have the uh, raw water and the finished water, which is the natural environment and the infrastructure. So, so you can have um, issues kind of on in, in this grid, if you imagine this matrix, kind of four, four quadrants, and each of those could, uh, you know, um, could be compromised and constrained, or you could have more than one of these areas. Uh, uh, and then it then it the effect starts to magnify itself. So no, uh, yeah, not and most most public water systems are quite robust, and there's lots of measures in place to prevent this from happening. But these are kind of these areas, you know, four, four areas: uh, quantity, quality, and then natural and built. You know, the intersections of these uh, is where you can have the uh, the compromise uh, take place. So one quick thing, and then I'll let Clarence chime in here. You said, it, it was interesting, you said for human consumption. Well, we also have animals too. Okay, so like, you know, for the listening audience, right, right behind me is my dog. So is it, is water, the safety of water for humans and for animals as well? Or is it, how, how does it distinguish, I guess? I think I think it's the same, you know, living living creatures kind of biologically, we're really all the same. So uh, things that would impair, um, you know, the human body, probably not very good for, you know, animals, pets, livestock, uh, really yeah. the same, the same quality concerns, I think, uh, you know, uh, exist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Clarence. 
Yeah. You know, I am excited about having you both on this program. And the reason for that is that, you know, I, I know Stan started off talking about the toxicity of water and what's going on in the world. Uh, can you give us kind of an overview of what's happening here in Minnesota as it relates to water? Because I think that part of it is that, again, we we are in a place where uh, there is a lot of water. We see a lot of water around us. But every time we turn on the news, we hear about places like Flint, Michigan and other kinds of places where there's there's some real there's some real issues. We hear about other places in, in the world where they're having problems with water. And I think that many people are interested in uh, uh, learning about what is good water. And, uh, you know, sometimes when the water comes out, it's brown, those kinds of things. So let's talk about water. Let's talk about it. it it's vitalness and, and why is it important and i like what stan said stan, stan talked about the dogs that's also part of public health as well so just so you know that yeah but but uh let's talk about water uh what's the state of water in minnesota well i'm happy to yeah no yeah I, i'm happy to report that people in minnesota can uh you know, I think generally feel really good about their state of water, especially their public water, right? We are lucky in the state that we have a lot of water, as you were saying, we're pretty water rich. And then generally speaking, the quality of those source waters is pretty good, right? We're predominantly, we predominantly are consumers of groundwater. So most of the public water supplies in the state, you know, 80% of the uh, population of the state that drinks uh, Public water is is getting their water from groundwater, and then the remaining twenty percent is coming from surface water. And our surface water sources are some pretty you know well known sources, primarily the Mississippi River, Lake Superior, and then some uh, you know so kind of smaller lakes in the southern part of the state. Again, blessed with really good water quality inherently in those surface water bodies, and then our groundwaters are pretty high quality too. So in that regard, you know, we 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 are uh, fairly well off, both in terms of quantity and quality. Do have to be careful because uh, the uh, the pressures continue to grow in terms of you know population growth and use of water for not just drinking but for irrigation, um, agriculture in other ways, industry. So the demand on water keeps on growing because water is not just you know a public health. Uh, essential requirement for for humans to live but it's also critical for industry and commerce and recreation and the same water gets used for all of those purposes so we have to be careful about um, using the the sheer uh, demands on water and then we have to keep watching out for threats you know both natural and man-made because again you can have uh, uh, geologically we have uh, minerals that are not good for us in, in large quantities, things like, you know, arsenic and radium and even, you know, iron manganese at high levels could be a problem. And then um, there's all of the artifacts of uh, our economy of today, you know, lots of agriculture, lots of industry. And um, uh, again, environmental protection, uh, pretty uh, in a different place today than it probably was 50 years ago. So a lot of practices that were commonplace and acceptable and even permitted, you know, 50 years ago, led to contamination of, of the waters. And so there's some of that legacy contamination that impacts water supply sometimes, and that has to be dealt with. Um, going forward, I think we, generally speaking, our environmental laws, our conservation laws are much more, uh, you know, rigorous now, much more uh, sophisticated. So 
we're probably not causing additional problems in terms of chemical pollution, but we do have a legacy of, of chemical pollution that has to be diligently monitored. But in spite of all of that, you know, those things are all fairly well understood, fairly well documented. There aren't any uh, kind of hidden hidden dangers that we're going to stumble into with one of our water supplies. So given this uh, multi-pronged approach that exists of uh, testing the waters, monitoring it, uh, keeping an eye on things, I think uh, public water supplies in Minnesota are some of the safest and most reliable in the country. And I think we have the numbers reflect that. You know, we uh, Safe Drinking Water Act is the underpinning of uh, Nationally, that's how public water supplies are monitored and uh, we have to comply with that. We have one of the highest compliance rates in the country. You know, we're probably up there in that top 5-10% nationally of uh, how well we comply with the Safe Drinking Water Act. So a pretty a great record to be proud of. I mean, we are a large state. We're sort of in the middle, you know, as far as population and size goes. So in spite of that, we have a very good uh, track record for how well our public water supplies rank uh, nationally. So lots Thank to you. be uh, lots to be grateful for, but Thank also you. lots to just be careful and yeah. continue to move as well. Thank you, Anna. I want to ask you a question though. Uh, uh, even even though Sandy just talked about how great the water supply is here, uh, a lot of folks are drinking bottled water. A lot of people are not, you know. So I know in your position, um, drink drinking water. What's going on with the bottled water? Because I think that's also a concern for a lot of people. Even though you know you say that we have safe water, a lot of people are drinking bottled water. I, I've got three brands in my in my office right now. What's up with that? What's what? Why are we so concerned about water? You know, um, you know, everyone's concerned about not just water, their health. It's more than just. Um, the water quality that comes from the tap. Some people like bottled water for taste. Some people like that crystal clear color. And if their water has certain minerals in it, it might not have that crystal clear color. Um, but the standards for bottled water and uh, public uh, drinking water are, are very similar. And in general, the, the qualities are comparable between bottled water and water provided by public systems. Uh, public water systems test the water for over a hundred contaminants to make sure it's safe. Um, so it's really up to uh, a customer's choice on what they prefer to drink. A lot of people have a favorite taste of water. They have their favorite brand uh, of water, bottled water. And even if you talk to someone who's used to well water, some, some people like that kind of hard water mineral taste. Uh, some people are you know, they love the city water that's been softened and has some of that um, extra treatment that takes out some of those minerals. So there's also a customer choice there, too, that may impact why people choose bottled water or tap water or a mix of both. So let me so I'm going to go back a little historically here. Um, for those of us in public health where we're. We remember John Snow, okay, and a cholera epidemic that happened in London, England. And they found that it was a contaminated, basically, water that was coming out of a pump, the Broad Street pump in, in England. So let's talk about disease and water. And also, I'll, I'll add one thing on this. You know, when we, we've all gone through COVID and actually we're still dealing with it, but, you know, 
lately, the last, what, year, maybe two years, we've been seeing reports of um, COVID showing up in water sampling in order for us to determine how how severe it is in our environment. So can you can you either one of you talk about disease and water? Yeah, thanks, Dan. So when it comes to waterborne disease, you know, infectious disease that can spread through your public water supply, the biggest concern really is uh, bacteria and, and coliform bacteria that's associated with uh, you know, fecal matter. And what's the source of that? That's your uh, uh, your sanitary system, right? Your your wastewater system, and oftentimes uh, these are uh, just the way our infrastructure is built. You know, there's only so much room to put all of your underground utilities. So, our sanitary sewer lines and our drinking water lines sometimes are in close proximity. But the big safety measure there is the fact that um, drinking water is pressurized and that keeps anything from getting into it. Now, occasionally you have uh, incidents where you lose pressure, you have waterman breaks or mechanical failures. So that's where you worry about the uh, you know wastewater side of things or even uh, just uh, shallow groundwater that may have maybe tainted with you know microorganisms getting into your your water supply. And so there exists, uh, you know, lots of procedures to detect those issues. And, uh, you know, be, that's when you get those uh, boil water advisories or the not drink advisories. Still, the problem can be solved and system can be flushed and repaired. And lots of sampling takes place to ensure that there are no bacteria showing up. And then uh, people can go back to using their water. So that's, uh, you know, that's the, uh, the big source of concern is just the... Uh, bacteria from the outside environment getting into what's essentially a closed and, you know, uh, sanitized system, which is your public water supplies, the conveyance for that. There are uh, pathogens that can, um, you know, live in um, in drinking water systems. And again, there's a number of measures to uh, counteract that. A properly maintained public water system where the water is moving, is not stagnant, is flushed properly, is not a conducive environment for opportunistic pathogens like Legionella, for instance. Very specific conditions have to come together, and usually that's because of a you know poorly maintained system. So again, there's multiple ways through which you monitor that to make sure that uh, those conditions never come to exist, where you can have... Uh, an opportunistic pathogen like Legionella take hold. So in a public water system and kind of the closed system that it is, you know, those are kind of the primary things you worry about. It's just bacteria, which is, you know, all, all pervasive and present everywhere and, and the opportunistic pathogens. And there's uh, just a host of uh, safety mechanisms in place where those conditions that could be favorable are detected early and fixed. So again, the... Uh, Public water system is very adept at ensuring that waterborne disease doesn't take hold and doesn't propagate through a public water system. So, Anna, let me ask you this question. What do we really, really need to know about water and its supply and the supply? What do we really, really need to know? I mean, because everybody assumes water is just a, you know, just like, oh, well, it's just water. Uh, but But what do we really, really need to know about water and the supply? I would say a couple things that we really, really need to know about water um, and the water supply is how much work the people who run the water system do to make sure that it's safe for everyone. Um, we've got those water operators out there keeping it safe um, and they work 
you know, usually, especially in the small towns, those water operators are also keeping our wastewater safe and they're wearing multiple hats working for the city. Um, so keeping that in mind, uh, depending on the source of that water, they may have different types of treatment that they're monitoring and keeping track of, um, responding to those water main breaks or those incidents that Sandeep mentioned. And then they follow up with the Department of Health to make sure they're doing all the testing needed to make sure things are safe when they bring the system back online. And then I'd say the other really important thing is to think about uh, what you can do in your own home to keep the water safe once it gets into your house. So that's making sure that you let the water run, especially if you have an older home where lead might be present, making sure it's not sitting stagnant in the pipes for a long period of time, and then reducing your risk by always drinking cold water. Um, if you need hot water, heating it up on the stove or in the microwave, but using that cold water. And then keeping um, your building plumbing, um, the maintenance on that up, up to date. So usually there's little screens on the end of faucets. You can clean those. A lot of people don't know that they can clean those. Most of them just screw off and you can soak them in vinegar for five minutes, brush them off, uh, rinse and put back on and that can help uh, reduce lead in your water but it can also keep biofilm from building up and uh, clouding up your water so there's lots of things that you can do um, at home as well to keep your water safe so I think those are the two big things for me just how much work goes into it to make make it clean for you and then things you can do at home to reduce your risk nothing's so, risk free, are there, so are there seasonal differences in the safety of water, for instance, do we if it if it's really hot outside, or if it's like the middle of summer and um, there are a lot of fertilizers that are being used, you know, in lawn on lawns and in crops and everything, are there seasonal variations in in overall safety of water? So that that's a great question, and some of that may depend on if you're a private well owner. Mm. or if you get your water from a water system. Um, so uh, water system, uh, so like municipal water is usually fairly constant throughout the year. The water system mm. may have seasonal trends that they have to adapt for, but the water quality that you get as a consumer is pretty constant. If you're a private well owner, uh, depending on um, the state of your well, there may be seasonal variations in quantity and quality. Um, and that's why we do recommend that private well owners uh, test their water periodically to make sure it's safety is being maintained. Uh, private well owners may also have softeners. Some private well owners may have iron filters or arsenic treatment. So just making sure if they do have some treatment that they're maintaining it regularly. I want to ask a question then this, and I want you to be totally honest with me, okay? This this is because this is health chatter, and so we we don't do politically correct stuff. We just talk, all right. So, what is the real future of water in Minnesota and the world? Because I think it, I think that there are some real challenges that we're going to be facing. So, what is the what is what is the the real future of water in Minnesota and the world? The the future in Minnesota is 
is good. You know, it's uh, we can be we can be hopeful that it's going to be a stable future where both quantity and quality can be sustained, and that again goes back to what we're blessed with for natural resources, and then the uh, then the regulatory and you know administrative environment that exists. Uh, investments that have been made and will continue to be made on the infrastructure side. And the fact that in, in Minnesota, we recognize the value of water, you know, by and large, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's something that cuts across uh, party lines and any other kinds of differences. We may have other things. So there's no, no one questions the, the value and importance of water to, uh, to not just everyday life, but to industry and commerce. So, you know, it kind of cuts across all of those things. So I think this is a state that does recognize the value of water, does recognize the importance to keep making those investments. And we have the, the natural factors working in our favor so far in terms of our resources. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, you know, that, that of course is something that'll have to be watched, you know, what, as we know that things are changing in the environment and what does the long-term future hold with the, uh, we have to adapt to climate and make sure we are conserving and protecting the natural resources so we always have abundant sources. You know, globally, like you said, it is probably a lot more challenging. Um, again, we have uh, the impacts of climate change are going to be, uh, you know, widely felt and they're going to vary. And I think uh, if you look at some of the global statistics, a uh, big chunk of uh, this planet, you know, a lot of countries are in a water-stressed environment, and that's not likely to to improve on its own. Um, so they are going to have to be very careful about managing and conserving water. Um, and again, I think water is, uh, as you said, it's liquid gold. It, it is probably the constraining resource, and I think that is getting recognized more and more that water, the availability of water is going to be a driving factor in how uh, nations and economies fare over time. So it is a very, very critical issue, something that everyone needs to pay very close attention to. Um, Minnesota, I think we, we can we can be optimistic. You know, globally, I think a lot of attention will need to be paid to make sure that everybody on planet Earth has a safe and sustainable water future. You know, that that is not a, not, it's not a guarantee. I think a lot of work, a lot of hard work. And, and yeah, and that gets into that whole issue around health equity, uh, because we know that, uh, and you know, we want to make sure that that's one of the things that we talk about was that uh, uh, it costs a lot of money to maintain these water systems, and you know, you have people in places where they don't have the the tax structure or they don't have the infrastructure to make that happen. So what what's going to happen? I mean, I mean, I, you know, again, I mentioned Flint, Michigan. I mentioned some other. There was a lot of different places that we talked about. Uh, how are we going to be able to, you know, again, I know we're talking about Minnesota here, but there are other people in other parts of the world. How are we going to be able to, and what should be our focus in, in terms of make sure, making sure that we maintain good, healthy water? What are your thoughts? It's a, it's a, that, that, I think that's a really, really important issue. And that is getting the attention it, it deserves in Minnesota. Is it is that happening everywhere else? That's you know really really hard to really hard to know without knowing kind of in details of how those states or those cities may be managing some of the health equity issues. But it, this is an issue that in Minnesota has been front and center for a long time, and it, it really comes down to does everybody have access to the same quality of water uh, at kind of the same rates, right? So that's a big focus here 
for us in Minnesota, Department of Health, working mm -hmm. with our other sister agencies, working with the legislature to really try and level that playing field to assure that at least public water supply consumer, consumers across the state are really experiencing a level playing field in terms of what they're getting and how much they're having to pay for it. So we build in a lot of those uh, factors into how systems are funded, how public funds are used, trying to maintain that balance. Um, so that's, that will remain a focus on the public water supply side of things. You know, that's definitely mm -hmm. sort of a fundamental part of the process now. It gets a lot more complicated when you look at what's happening on uh, people that have private wells. You know, 20% of the state's population still gets their water from private water supplies. And there's probably big differences there uh, because people are responsible for uh, upkeep of their private water system entirely on their own. And um, you think that's that's a part where the state probably needs to uh, pay some attention to and and. And you need to cross those barriers of, you know, those are um, private properties and it's private infrastructure. Um, what is the government's role in that? So I think that's those are discussions that are taking place. There are some, um, you know, fundamental things there that have to be figured out. But if you look at the fact that uh, drinking water, a fundamental right everyone's entitled to, whether they're drinking from private supplies or public supplies, then I think the the private side of the matter probably needs a lot more discussion, a lot more attention to be paid for it to to give those people the same kind of protection and facilities that public water supplies uh, enjoy today. Well, you know, interesting enough, the uh, the the question that I that I have, and 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 I'm a community member, so the question that I have is really about the lead in the water. I think Anna, you 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 were alluding to that. You were talking about the pipes and flushing out the things and like that. Can you talk, Anna? Could you talk about the about the the, the way in which the state is taking a look at lead? I mean, I, I know that you can't do everything, but it is an issue, and it's causing problems with pregnancies, causing with with brain development, those kinds of things. So, what do we do? Yeah. So. Um, there's no safe level of lead, and that includes drinking water, too. Um, lead in paint and uh, lead dust is still the biggest exposure route uh, Minnesotans have to lead. So that comes from those older homes that may still have lead paint in them. Um, but lead from drinking water is still a concern in Minnesota. Um, we've just been uh, working to put $240 million um, that's being invested into getting lead out of drinking water, trying to get those lead service lines out and to make sure that that's done in an equitable way so that people who are exposed to lead from those service lines, uh, it gets out as quickly as possible. We're kind of having a, a goal to get that out within 10 years, which we're seeing also reflected in the lead and copper rule uh, improvements which is a nationwide effort uh, that's also uh, been proposed to try and get let out nationwide in 10 years from those service lines. Uh, here in Minnesota, we also uh, work with schools and child cares so that they can test for lead. We run a uh, lead testing program for them using the water infrastructure improvements for the nation's funding. Um, but there's um, grants going out to schools and child cares to get lead out when they found it to make sure that um, when it's found, they're able to actually address it and not just go, we found it. What do we do? 
So we want to make sure that they can do something about it as well. So we're working pretty hard on lead and drinking water in Minnesota. So let me ask you, so there are certain things that are not good in, in water like lead, but then mm -hmm. again, there are certain things that are, are good in water and sometimes what we add to the water, like like flora, fluoride in water, fluoridation. And we see some political ramifications behind that. There are some communities that are against fluoridation of water, et cetera, et cetera. So can you guys comment a little bit on fluoride in water? Yes, Dan, again, that's a, you know, one of the prevailing issues of our time is the debate about adding fluoride to water. So there's unquestionably data that has shown that the addition of those small quantities of fluoride has had a huge impact on uh, dental health. But nonetheless, we also know that fluoride in at higher quantities can, uh, you know, go the other way. It, uh, it can cause you harm. So uh, this aspect gets studied very closely and, and scientists the world over in the U.S. work very hard to make sure that the amount of fluoride that is the, uh, that's set in Minnesota, it's set in, it's set in, in the state statute and uh, nationally CDC has a guidance for how much fluoride needs to be added. And those numbers have been revised down downwards as, you know, now we get fluoride from other sources too. There's fluoride in toothpaste and fluoride in mouthwash. So with all of that, the amount of fluoride that gets added in municipal waters has been revised downwards to keep that total exposure to fluoride, you know, at a safe level. And certainly all the, uh, th this is a very, very highly researched topic. You know, lots of experts looking at this very closely the world over. So I think people can be confident that the small amount of fluoride being added into municipal water supplies is not going to push us over that area where we're getting too much fluoride. But nonetheless, this, this, is, this is a topic of great debate. And, uh, you know, people are certainly justified in having concerns that we're getting too much fluoride because that is not uh, healthy either. But again, all, all we can do is uh, assure people that uh, this is an issue that everyone's aware of. Uh, and again, our medical community, our scientific community, we keep a very close eye on how much is being added to municipal supplies to make things, just keep things in balance. Yeah, you know, it. Um, what also strikes me is um, what I would consider to be like border issues. Like, how is it that um, we maintain the same kind of safety in our water that they do like in Wisconsin or in Iowa? I mean, you know, the difference between a border is a line. So how is it that we work with states across the border for safety of water? Yeah, the underpinnings, again, on public water supplies, you know, we everybody follows the Safe Drinking Water Act. That's the federal requirement. All the states uh, in the United States, barring perhaps one, have been delegated the authority by the federal government to administer the Safe Drinking Water Act in the state. So we're all really, you know, using the same playbook. So uh, that's uh, so we can be assured that you travel across the border, you're, the water in the public water supply really, you know, is, is following the same rules and regulations and the same kind of testing, the same, uh, everybody has to meet the same quality criteria. So that, that's a pretty constant thing as you travel across the United States. So there's definitely some reassurance in that. And besides that, there is a lot of 
coordination and communication and sharing of information and cross-training and learning from each other. We do a lot of things collaboratively with our neighboring states. And we share uh, some of our source waters. You know, we have the same aquifers, the same surface water bodies, the same uh, rivers that flow across. So there's a lot of coordination on making sure that we are helping each other out and keeping those source waters safe. There's definitely coordination there. And again, I think state to state, you know, share the same values, share the same science, share the, share the same regulations. So it's a, it is not a, you know, patchwork. It is a pretty consistent body of regulation and practices across this country. So that's a, and that's a very good thing that, that gives us that assurance that, you know, we're not going to be running into um, different sort of frameworks as we travel across the country. It is, it is a very consistent situation. And I, I think that's the reassuring. Let me ask a question there. This is kind of more of a personal question. We'll start with you, Anna. How did you get involved in water? And then Sandy, how did you get involved in water? I mean, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, I, I'm always interested in that. You know, what was that epiphany that says like, hey, you know, uh, I like water. I mean, you know what I mean? So let's talk about that. Yep. Um, so let's see. How did I get involved in water? So I would say I got involved in water. Um kind of professionally, um, when I was in graduate school, I went to graduate school at the University of Maine in Orono. Um, and it, um, I studied uh, radiation in, in water. So I studied lots of different types of environmental radiation, but I actually studied radon in, in drinking water and radium, uh, which is pretty common out in Maine. And so when I moved to Minnesota, um, I was teaching for a while, but my first job at the state of Minnesota was working on the radionuclides rule for drinking water because Minnesota also has some aquifers where there's naturally occurring uh, radioactive materials. So working with water systems who have to take that mineral out uh, before it gets to consumers. So that's how I got uh, interested in water and I've stayed in that field. And now I work mostly with uh, getting lead out of drinking water. Sandeep, how, how did you about you? What, 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 you and water, your relationship with water. So it goes back to, I, I grew up in India, you know, a country that has lots of water and also very little water, depending on where you are in the country. And I trained to be an engineer and a, and a geologist there. And in my, I was fascinated with working on uh, big projects, you know, mining and tunneling and big, building big dams. That, that's how I started. And um, realized that water was uh, central to all of those things. You're either trying to control water, harness water, or do something with water. And uh, got me thinking about the value of water itself fundamentally. So I got interested in water and I came to the United States for uh, graduate studies and I wanted to really study water. And then um, I went from, uh, you know, just studying how to uh, find water, use water to really protecting and conserving it. Uh, you know, I you know, went to work in the, uh, uh, pollution control industry, uh, cleaning up big contamination. And again, contamination in water, especially drinking water, with the most uh, highest profile, you know, highest uh, importance projects. My graduate thesis had to do with water. I was part of the team that developed the wellhead protection plan for the state in the early days of the plan. Then I didn't, I kind of went away from drinking water per se, and but worked in areas that were related to drinking water. So then I uh, came to MDH four years uh, earlier in this position. It was sort of coming back uh, coming back to my roots and coming back to drinking water. 
So uh, I think a long association with water, uh, different aspects of it, sort of over time uh, really began to understand that water is liquid gold and especially drinking yes. water is the defining yeah. issue of our time and it's going to define uh, where we go as, as a species in the future. So uh, I think there can be no, uh, as you said yourself, you cannot possibly understate the value of, uh, of drinking water, what it means to uh, you know humankind. You know, it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, I'm going to say this real quick, Sam. Let me say this real quick, Sam. You know, what's interesting for me, you know, this, this is health chatter, okay? I never, never, ever, I'm, 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 I'm a seasoned person, okay? I never, never realized that water had different taste. You know, it just, it just, it just, it was just water. And I think maybe about, my wife would always tell me stuff like, well, I like this water better than I like that water. I said, well, what, what a difference does it make? It's just water. Okay. But it's only been very, very recently that I found out there is a difference in the taste of water. And, you know, I think, Anna, you talked about the fact that, you know, you got minerals, you got chemicals and those kinds of things. And so now I become a a, a, a water connoisseur or snob. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to tell my story. That's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay, Stan, your turn. So... Um, you know, it's really interesting when you start reading about um, space exploration. And one of the first things that um, when you're exploring space is whether or not there's water available, no matter no matter what. And there's scientific um, investigations for for water. So obviously, it's not just, the, the liquid gold per se here, but it's also in the universe as a whole. So let, let me bring up another issue that's kind of hitting all of us, and that's war. So, you know, there are, there are two major wars that are going on in, in the world right now, one in Ukraine and one in uh, Israel and um, in Gaza. And there's a lot of destruction. And Almost the first thing that comes out of that is the need for water. One way or the other, there's a need for water. And when these wars um, stop or they're, they're done, and hopefully sooner than, than later, um, how is it that a war-torn area can develop frankly, relatively quickly, safe water for, for its population? Or is that something that's got to be brought in until a new infrastructure is developed? So, so I think, Stan, I think there's, unfortunately, there's, uh, you know, the water infrastructure, however robust and resilient to make it, you, know, you can't really design something that's sustained can sustain human conflict and uh, deliberate targeting because I think that is a strategic thing is to take out some of those uh, infrastructure things to force the uh, you know other side to capitulate. So it takes a long time to rebuild uh, rebuild your water system. So again, you have to make sure that the source waters have come through relatively intact and groundwater, surface water. You know they'll be affected differently. Surface waters a lot more vulnerable. And the infrastructure, if it's been physically destroyed, you're looking at a very time-consuming, very expensive uh, effort to bring that back into uh, 
into use. So uh, for, for a long time, you're probably looking at bringing water in and, and supplying it to people that way. And I think that's typically what you see as uh, that's why water is such a huge, uh, you know, component of aid packages that go in and relieve supplies, you know, water is front and center. Um, you know, humans can probably can survive a long time with uh, food shortages, but a lot less uh, without water. Right. So I think uh, water, just bringing water in, supplying water to these areas, is just becomes a fundamental part of the relief efforts and the rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. So um, for our listening audience, this is interesting, and perhaps either one of you can reflect on this. Um, this is from our research crew, four and a half million Minnesotans, and we're just talking Minnesota now, so you can kind of guess what it might be in your particular state, uh, whoever is listening. 4.5 million Minnesotans consume water from 6,649 public water systems. This is just Minnesota now, which include municipalities, resorts, daycares, restaurants, and other establishments that provide drinking water. So, I mean, that's, when you think about that, for most of us, this is kind of invisible to us, which, by the way, success of public health is often invisible. It's when there all, of a, all of a sudden there's like a problem that becomes more visible to all of us. Like all of a sudden the water doesn't taste good or it looks funny or, or what have you, or there's contaminants in it. But in Minnesota, we're in pretty good shape. Minnesota has an exceptionally high rate of compliance with the safe Drinking Water Act, and I think Sandeep, you 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 mentioned that nearly ninety eight percent of public water systems and over ninety nine percent of the population they serve have drinking water that meets all federal based standards. That's pretty good, pretty pretty good, and it and it really goes to to you, the professionals that 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 monitor this and connect with one another um, statewide to make sure that our, our drinking water is is safe. So tell me, um, if, you know, so this is, you know, a health chatter. What do you want the public to know? I mean, if, if you know, a couple, a couple one-liners from each one of you to end our show with you, what would it be? And for our listening audience, um, I guess mine would be uh, to, to just. Uh, oh, I guess I would. I guess I would still go with. Um, you know, you're a part of of the water too, so everyone's everyone's responsible for for keeping water safe, whether that's keeping garbage out of the waste. Um, whether it's picking up pollution, whether it's, you know, doing things in your home to make sure your water quality stays safe. Um, you know, I mentioned letting it run and doing those things to protect specifically from lead. Um, but those, those things also can help just maintain good water quality. So I think it's really important that people feel like they're part of making sure water in Minnesota is safe so that they have some investment uh, themselves in, you know, being proud of how great our water quality is here because it takes everyone. Yeah. Sandeep. So I would just, you know, really 
tell Minnesotans to trust their public water supply, to be very proud of their public water supply, to feel very safe about drinking their public water supply. It's a great resource uh, provided to them at very, very low cost. And uh, so on the, on the, to balance that, they should be appreciative of that. And as Anna said, do their part because uh, uh, water is a great aggregator. It picks up everything uh, on the land surface, uh, anywhere else, and you know things ultimately end up in the groundwater or the surface water. That's our drinking water. So little things that people can do um, uh, around their homes and their neighborhoods. You know, simple things like picking up trash. Uh, um, you know, picking up after their dog when they're walking their pets. Uh, those all, those little things may not seem like it, but they all ultimately end up in the water one way or the other, and that's what we drink. So the less we, uh, you know, the, the, if we can reduce the burden on um, our source water, water will continue to stay abundant and cheap. Um, so everyone has a role in this, but at the end of the day, people should appreciate that, um, the water they get to drink from a public water supply is a finished product. A lot of work goes into it. A lot of regulations govern it. There is a tremendous amount of transparency about it. So they can help themselves to all that information about their water very easily uh, from their city website or by calling Department of Health. So it's an open book. Uh, people should trust it and they should enjoy it and they should do their part to protect it. Well put, well put. Clarence. Thank you both. Thank you all. Uh, we have those that were on the on that spoke and those that didn't speak. But we thank you for the work that you're doing. I I, I really um, you know David when Dave and I were talking about this, I I really appreciated uh, his explanation of so many different things about how the uh, the water supply is being protected. You know, and you, you know you talked about the the uh, uh, the work that's being done in order to make it safer. And so I just want to say from uh, community health uh, for community. The whole process. Uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, thank you. That's what I say. I love that water. Stan. <laughs> thank you. You, The expertise that's, like I had mentioned, almost invisible to, to yeah. most of the population comes from, from, from people like you, the professional aspects of helping to keep all of us safe and it's it's really greatly appreciated we also yeah. greatly appreciate the insights that you've given to all of us in our drinking water something that we take for granted but yeah. perhaps a takeaway from this show is you shouldn't take it for granted right. there are things that you can do to help make it continue to be safe going right. forward so Thank you both, Sandeep and, and, and Anna, for, for being with us today. We have great shows coming up on, on Health Chatter. One down the pike pretty quick is on organ donation, which should be an interesting topic. And we'll see, maybe we can get more and more people to be organ donors when they listen to our show. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, to all of you out in our listening audience, keep health chatting away.